Hey everyone, welcome to episode 34 of the Brosane Detroit Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. It's been a little while and we are finally compelled and excited to check back in with everybody about the latest Pistons move in the, moves in the offseason. Uh, we were kind of resigned to have a stiff upper lip and roll it back and see if we could have things work out better. But now we actually have quite a lot of moves. So why don't we discuss those? Alex, what do you make of the signing of Avery Bradley for Marcus Morris and losing KCP along the way? Yeah, it's really surprising. I mean, you know, I, I'm pleased. We're, we, I had been thinking about how Boston needs to trade one of their guards, and I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if we could get Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart if uh, if we thought Reggie Jackson was hurt or something like that? And, um, you know, we, we, we traded one of our be- most tradable assets in Marcus Morris because he's a, a pretty good player on a great contract. And uh, in the process, we saved some flexibility in the long run. You know, um, KCP's a pretty good player, but... You know, we we offered him a five year, eighty million dollar contract, and, and he turned it down. So we're not we're not locked in there uh, for good or for bad. I, I'm excited. I, I think it helps just to have something significant change each off season. I mean, there's sort of this there's sort of this reality that like if something big changes, you might imagine that, that that'll somehow lead to great things. Uh, there's part of that because I think it was a little bit depressing just to roll back the exact same lineup that had underperformed, even though it was because of a major injury to one of our best players and Reggie Jackson, but. I don't know, I think it's exciting, and Bradley seems like a really great fit for what we need. And just one, I love that he's like a defensive specialist. Uh, I love that he's a, a really good three point shooter. He seems like a definite. He, he basically seems like a rich man's KCP, like slightly like better than KCP, the same kind of player, and perhaps maybe some more leadership qualities and things like that, some intangibles perhaps. But it certainly feels like trading certainty of lock in with KCP for being able to kind of try something fresh at without being locked in right away is is worth doing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're 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 talking about a guy who has pros and cons to him, but the fact is he's played in the Eastern Conference Finals and I don't think anyone else on our roster at least with a lot of uh, with a major role has. You know, he's played almost 40 playoff games in in his career and um you know, we probably, you know, we I didn't look to add it up ahead of time, but, like, do we have 40 total playoff games on our whole roster? Uh, so, you know, we've got a guy with a little more fame. He's got a great reputation around the league. And uh, for the stuff, reasons we'll talk about later, you know, it it's, makes our fit even better to have a put good shooting around our main offensive talents of uh, Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. Yeah, I was getting familiar with him and kind of reading more about him, and I listened to his press conference. One thing that was surprising to me was that he's only 6'2", because he does not seem like he's 6'2", playing shooting guard when you watch him play. I, I remember he left an impression on me in the playoffs when the one game that Celtics beat the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals this year was when you really didn't, didn't expect it because Isaiah Thomas was out, and Avery Bradley was like the stud that game. Uh, and that's the kind of experience that we're talking about. And also, one thing I learned in reading about him is that he's he's very athletic. He won the dunk contest, really. Uh, I think in in college or in high school or something like that. Like, yeah, not that that's like winning a high school dunk contest for an NBA player is that notable, but he can jump. He, he is very athletic. He, he doesn't pull it out very often. But if you if you go back, you can find clips of him dunking on Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James, and like he launches from like the dotted line and, and can dunk. So uh, we can we, we can look forward to him pulling that out maybe a couple times this year. 
Wow, I didn't know that. And uh, I mean, I think Josh McRoberts won uh, a dunk contest at like the McDonald's All American Game or something. I, I think that might be right. But but yeah, I mean, hey, yeah, so he, he, you have to have athleticism if you're going to be six foot two playing shooting guard. Um, I he's got a, a a great reputation, even better than KCP's. Uh, KCP was you know thought of as like, oh, he's he's our Steph Curry stopper, and he's got a great you know he's a great young defensive player, but. Uh, Avery Bradley has been once first team and once second team all defensive uh, for the whole league. And he didn't make an all defensive team this year, but there was uh, an outcry among, among players that Bradley didn't make one of the teams. Like it was one of the few guys that there was a lot of chatter among the players among like, gosh, I can't believe he didn't make it. And Hey, that's a great sign for us, you know, to have a, have a guy that people hate to play against on our team. You know, there's a risk in him being six foot two, whereas I think KCP is six foot five. So you 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 play against a, a very tall shooting guard like Clay Thompson, and he can post him up, and and that's a that's a vulnerability that we have. But you know, he's athletic and he has a great defensive reputation. He knows how to do it. Plays hard. You know, I'll take that every time. And and for further comparing him to KCP, I was a little bit surprised to see that. Some of the advanced stats, like we, we, we tend to like offensive rating. He, he was actually a little bit lower than KCP. I think it's because he has uh, more turnovers, like maybe 0.7 more turnovers per game. And um, But he also has a higher usage rate, which means he was trusted with the ball more on offense in general. Even though KCP played tons of minutes, it didn't seem like he really could create anything. So um, I'll take that. And his PER is higher. Uh, so I would say that like, when you, the reality is that Bradley is not like a proven offensive stud, uh, but he's but he you could argue that he's better than KCP and he's a better shooter. KCP we always wanted him to be KC three, but it was always like KC like uh, like in, in home games sometimes KC three, but not really you know. That's right. I mean they're they're both offensive role players, and um, Bradley's a little closer to the league average in terms of overall production. And then the the role he is going to play is hitting open threes, and he just has a higher percentage of that, both for his career and last year. Last year he shot thirty nine percent. That would have led the Pistons, I believe, uh, on three pointers. And uh, you know we'll we'll take all of that. Yeah, and and K- I, I will miss KCP. But what makes it sting a little bit less is that the qualities that made me really like KCP, like a hard worker, uh, not afraid to work hard on defense, Bradley has all of those. So it's and that, that makes it a little bit easier. Um, oh, the, the other guy that we lost, the guy we actually traded for, traded to, to get Bradley in Morris, I kind of feel like um, also stings less because we had a bit of a logjam at the forward position. If he had to pick the forward, we were going to trade. Um, I, I'm not sure he, he was definitely like – He's a really good player on a good contract through next year, like, um, which is why he was a good trade asset. But I, I feel like without last year, we had him. He was like he started at three, which made it harder for to, to really give uh, Stanley Johnson any minutes. Um, and we also had we, we kind of like had a luxury of of depth at the three and four, but we really struggled at our depth at the guard. Um, when, especially when KCP was injured, um, we had to worry, we had to like Benno coming off the bench and who was just not really, he's not really going to, he's not a great NBA player. He's okay. But, uh, and, and so now it just feels good to have, uh, uh, the more balance on our roster. So I think that's, that's one thing. And we can talk a little bit more directly about it later. That was completely ignored by the national media who 
like Kevin Pelton gave us like a a D or something or a C minus on our trade grade because he summed it up as we lost two starters for a one year rental. Um, but so we avoided maxing out a player who had not proven worth maxing out, and we lost a start and we lost a starter for a better starter. Um, who might turn out to be worth maxing out, but we get to see for a year. We get, we can, we can, we actually get some time to breathe and look at it. Yeah, I think that roster balance angle is is really important for us. I mean, maybe we, maybe the Kevin Peltons of the world would say we could have gotten better value for Morris's valuable contract, but I mean, we upgraded an important starter position and balanced our roster, and we have uh, either reasonably decent NBA players or good young prospects who are going to play all the minutes at every position. So the drop-off between Morris and, you know, who who else is going to play those minutes is probably not that big. I mean, the, most of them will probably go to guys we already trust to play those minutes, like Tobias Harris. Um, you know, Morris basically had the same position profile as Tobias Harris. Um, and, yeah, it was... It, the minutes game was getting a little too crowded in the front court, and it was a little thin in the back court. We addressed that both with this move and with um, probably our biggest free agent signing, which is not that big, is uh, Langston Galloway. You know, he probably most people have heard of him because he played for the Knicks for a little while, and anyone who plays for the Knicks like is just in the newspaper more. And um, you know, I think he's a good fit too. He's actually he's actually kind of a poor man's Avery Bradley. He's a six foot two. Uh, guard who can play shooting guard and point guard. He's uh, he hit thirty nine percent of his three pointers last year, just like Bradley did. Although his career percentage is a little lower than that, and uh, he has a reputation for being a really good defender. Not he he hasn't made NBA All Defense teams like Bradley has, but um, some of the you know, other podcasts and articles I read mentioned that the advanced stats show that he was a really solid defender at the guard position. And we signed him using our mid-level exception, which is a, you know, under the salary cap rules, uh, you can pay a guy for a little bit or exactly the league average, uh, a veteran to come onto your team. So he's going to come in and he'll be our third point guard and, and a little bit of insurance. If uh, Reggie Jackson has to miss any more time with injury, he'll probably be our backup shooting guard unless our uh, rookie Luke Kennard uh, wins more minutes. Um, we, we, it gives us a little more flexibility to play uh, two ball handlers or three wing players uh, at the same time uh, to match really fast lineups. So, you know, he I think he's a solid addition. And, and the theme here is roster balance and having the parts fit together. We got competitors who are good defenders and can hit an open three. And we're just getting more and more like that all, every year, uh, just having the, the roster resemble you know, Stan Van Gundy's dream of how to make a roster over time. Yeah, it's worth mentioning uh, with Galloway that 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 specifically is the the depth of point guard. I I was reading that when Bradley, even though he's six two, I think he had one stretch playing guard a point guard and and for Boston and it really didn't go well. Uh, and he, he's been much more successful at the shooting guard for whatever reason. So take that for whatever it's worth, for what it's worth. But I so yeah, I think it's good that and in signing Galloway that also kind of put the pressure on, uh, basically made it so we didn't really have an easy way to, to max out KCP either. Um, and when Van Gundy was at a press conference about the moves, he claimed that we did not go into the offseason with the idea that we, we, we went in with, with the idea we were going to sign KCP. And 
when it, when the opportunity of Avery, Avery Bradley came, it was just too good to pass up, as he put it. Uh, but I do think that in in signing Galloway, it kind of signaled that like, hey, we think you're worth eighty million bucks over five years, and if that that's take it or leave it, and he and he left. Yeah. But I think I think you summarized Van Gundy's thinking about how our offseason moves make sense pretty well. Yeah, and. and- The arcane details of the collective bargaining agreement and the salary cap are part of why some of the the nerdy uh, commentators that we really like a lot, like Kevin Pelton, really didn't like some of our offseason moves. Is that we um, when we signed Galloway, we put some certain limitations on our roster called a hard cap, which, which would have made it so we would have had to trade players to offload salary in order to match a max offer for KCP, and they just we're sort of like, oh, well, why would you hard cap yourself? That almost not coming right out and saying because they respect SVG too much, but they sort of implied like maybe they didn't know that that was the rule because like, that's, that's such a dumb move. But I looked at it as like if we didn't if we didn't think KCP was worth the max, it's not a bad negotiating strategy to say like, hey, look, we can't match an offer that high, so why don't you go get a ma- an offer that we can match? And then also, I mean, we have we don't have any uh, a lot of guys that like we, we absolutely can't unload if we need to get rid of their salary. We've got, you know, it was, so we we could have found a way to match any offer anyway. So I thought that was, um, I thought that was an okay move. We, we got a guy that fits on our roster, and we're paying him an average NBA salary for an average NBA player. I mean, what's the harm in that? And it would have been hard to to roll back and iron in the idea that we're going to have KCP and this is this is really our cap situation for the next three or four years with this roster. I mean, we, I think we made a case last year, going into last year, when we were more optimistic that this, this team, if Drummond made a huge leap, really could kind of reach the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, but it doesn't it it would feel hard to like completely iron that in. Uh, and I think that was we also were hoping that Maybe KCP would have proven himself worth the max by maybe approaching forty percent from three, uh, but he didn't, he didn't quite get there. So anyway, I, I I feel pretty good about the move so far. But I I, it, you can, I also don't want to oversell. Uh, we we basically upgraded KCP and, and better balanced our roster. It's not like we signed a, a superstar. Yeah, we we just made things make more sense, and our roster is better balanced, and the floor spacing will be better. Um, because of those moves, and also, uh, you know, we we had a mid first grade first round draft pick, number twelve, and we picked Luke Kennard out of Duke. Uh, he was may, possibly the best um, three point shooter in the draft. There are a few guys that get that moniker, but there was uh, an analysis by a website, Nylon, Nylon Calculus, that has a model for translating college shooting into pro three point shooting, and they actually find interestingly that. Um, College um, free throw shooting is a at least as important an indicator as college three point shooting, which is kind of interesting. Maybe it says something about your kind of how your skeleton's built or something uh, for smooth uh, shooting strokes. But anyway, Kennard projects to be a really good three point shooter. He's six foot five. He's a real crafty scorer. He played really well in uh, summer league in the Orlando summer league and impressed some people. Um, he tested at the NBA combine with, um, a surprisingly high vertical leap, which doesn't mean he's a great athlete. It's just, it, it made people not worry that he's a terrible athlete because he didn't look like a great defender in college. So 
you know, we we might have gotten a useful guy here. You know, it's probably fifty fifty whether he whether a guy drafted in this in this position of the draft ends up being a, a really good starter or rotation player ever. And you know, things are looking good on that front now. Um, probably having um, Avery Bradley and Langston Galloway play most of our minutes at shooting guard and hitting open threes and playing good defense is our best bet uh, for short-term success. But, you know, I feel pretty good about this guy. There's one other guy who we could have drafted, um, the guy from Louisville. Um, gosh, well, uh, now I'm forgetting his name. But there, there's another shooting guard that a lot of people thought we would we would draft um, and that uh, Utah ended up drafting. And, uh, you know, he's also really impressed people in, in the Las Vegas Summer League, so people are thinking maybe we should have drafted him, but, you know, whatever. We we need shooting. We got we got the best shooter and uh, a guy who was appropriate to take at our position. So, you know, we just keep putting our oar in the water and pulling as hard as we can and the, make the best out of every move. It, I guess the, there are a couple other moves. We, we, we re-signed Anthony Tolliver. He's just, you know, he can hit an open three but doesn't do much else and veteran leadership. And uh, we brought Reggie Bullock back at a cheap contract. He can hit an open three. He's going to be suspended for a, a drug violation for a few games. But, you know, he, hopefully he won't be playing for us too much because we have better guys. Yeah, a couple things that stood out with the, with the moves you just covered is that um, Kennard, the biggest – the biggest concern was defense and SVG said in watching the summer league that despite the fact that he did impress people by scoring and, and shooting well from three, they thought he actually played well enough on defense that it made them think he has a shot at competing for playing time this year uh, compared to, but you know, that that's, it's still probably unlikely that you look at someone like Ellenson last year and uh, over time, as you watch these first round picks come in uh, it's, it's rare that they actually, have a major impact the first year, let alone sniff the sniff any significant minutes. Um, Tolliver coming back is interesting. I mean, this is maybe I'm just kind of really reaching here and, and listening to too many uh, podcasts and interviews. But uh, Tolliver was saying that when he left Detroit, he felt like he would be coming back, and he, and he he kept in touch with people and he watched the, the roster last year. And during some of our turmoil when we had like players only meeting and we were on a losing streak he felt like we lacked leadership and then the, and the player level at that point. So he feels like he can add that. So, you know, that that's probably just kind of feel good press bites, but you know, if we're going to reach for something for him coming back, that might be it. Yeah. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was the name of the guy out of Louisville who we, a lot of people thought we might draft. And so he's the guy sort of like justice Winslow for uh, Stanley Johnson, like Donovan Mitchell versus Luke Kennard is going to be something where if uh, Pistons fans want to torture themselves or gloat, depending on how things turn out, they can, uh, you can watch those two things, but yeah, on Tolliver. Yeah. I mean, he can hit an open three. So if he's on the floor, our, our offense will work. Um, he has a really low usage rate, which basically means he just stands there with his hands up, and if you pass it to him and he's open, he can shoot it, and that's maybe literally all he can do. But he also, I remember, plays really hard on defense such that SVG doesn't get angry at him, um, which I think is important. You know, SVG's blood pressure, I think, is a good indicator for us uh, for this year. But, yeah, so we, we've got a lineup where every single minute uh, is going to be played by a veteran NBA player who competes hard and plays good defense or and or is a good outside shooter or is a, a prospect who we're trying to see what we have in our, you know, Stanley Johnson and Henry Ellens and Luke Kennard. And, you know, that's where you want to be. It's just it, we're, we don't have any real holes. 
And and that's what you get when you um, you know make people from other podcasts and The Ringer and uh, Kevin Pelton mad by paying um, veteran backups uh, a decent uh, contract is uh, you know th- that's what you get you you get decent players playing all your minutes and you don't have you're not trying to get by with any like minimum contract garbage you know guys who who are terrible but you spent all your money somewhere else yeah and look i mean going into last season people had predicted us to be as high as 48 wins so i almost feel like they're overcorrecting in the other direction um kevin o'connor said svg has, has been a disaster as a gm and 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 went through his moves and conveniently left out the fact that we like, the, the Tobias trade. And it, I just felt like it was almost like obviously unfair, like just kind of ignoring certain things uh, in their analysis, which was sort of funny. But uh, last year I almost felt like it was strangely like, e- even though we were excited that they're not that optimistic, we like, we didn't almost agree with them. We kind of felt like we were more like a 46, 47 win team. And they're like, well, if Kevin Pelton says we're a 48 win team, then Hey, who am I to get in his way? But now it's almost like the opposite where people are like, I think, didn't you say that Bill Simmons was like, is there any more of a depressed fan base than the Detroit Pistons right now? And like, I don't know where, like, where's he getting that from? I don't know. Like we had a bad year last year because our most important offensive player was injured and we had to like readjust our offense twice, and we and we really didn't get back into a rhythm. Yeah, and and you know it's, it was disappointing that Drummond didn't take a big leap, but he still could because he's young. Um, and he I, he's talking about us like we're the we're in the situation the Brooklyn Nets were in, but we're not. We we don't have any old players signed to big contracts. We don't. We still have all our draft picks. So I don't know. I think. Yeah, as, exactly as you said. Just the pendulum has swung the other way a little too far, and I'm going to just tell you. Here are some of the players that led the Pistons in minutes the year before Stan Van Gundy took over building the roster: Josh Smith, Brandon Jennings, Kyle Singler, Rodney Stuckey. The, the, those four players were in the top six in minutes on the Detroit Pistons the year before he took over shaping this roster. Um, so. Yeah. Oh my God. And Kyle Singler is always a barometer for me because when he got traded to OKC, he literally could not scratch a minute as a backup, and he was like our starter for like a, a good part of the season. So yeah, none of those guys are even rotation players on any team uh, probably this next year. I mean, Jennings has a chance, but he 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 looked kind of washed last year. Yeah, and we'll have to do a, a podcast closer to the start of the season where we do our official win total and things like that, but. I already, I already felt like if we just rolled everything back and came in with more confidence and less and just better luck with with injury, we could easily be a second round team like like we were hoping. Uh, now with a little bit of shakeup, um, I, I feel like it, we have a little bit more hope than we than, than that. Uh, our upside is probably still, uh, especially with the Eastern Conference thinning out, with um, the Pacers getting bad, the Bulls getting bad. Uh, with 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 uh, Butler and George moving to the Western Conference, like, hey, we, we could. The, the, probably the nicest thing that a national commentator has said is our uh, patron saint Zach Lowe said that just by not doing much, like we we win by default. Like the teams in the East that didn't do much, like kind of stepped up. You know, I think that we could, as hometown fans, look forward to the fact that we could really uh, have an easy way into the playoffs this year and, and hope for something better where we could actually have home court advantage in the first round. So absolutely. And, 
and that that plays into the the last kind of bigger thing I want to say is just part of why we're getting killed by uh, national media on our moves this year and why people are so mad that we're, um, you know, signing veterans to mid-grade contracts rather than saving our cap space or tanking is that we're just using a, a, a team building strategy that is not in vogue. I mean, there's people talk about the the titles or tank strategy. You're you either have LeBron James or Steph Curry, and you're pushing all your chips in, and you're taking all your draft picks, future draft picks, and turning them into current veteran players. Or you need to be in the opposite mode. Put your car in reverse and floor it. Um, trade any any veteran players that are sniffing past their prime and trade them for future assets. Um, every and uh, you know do what the Sixers have done and just tank until you uh, win the draft lottery during a year when a, a future Hall of Famer happens to be available. And if you try to do something in between, uh, you get killed as not being savvy or smart. But like, you know, part of how you get a star player to want to come to you, unless you're Pat Riley and can dump all your championship rings on the table, or you have, you know. Miami Beach uh, as a attraction is just be good. Just if you're a star player and you and the on court thing you really need to think about is with me there adding you know three four five six wins. Does that get them up to the sixty win range? Yes or no. So that means before you even get them to you, you need to be in the fifty fifty five or high fifties win range. Then Something can happen, like Chris Paul, very surprisingly, forced a trade to the Houston Rockets this year. No one, he, no one was on on that scent of Chris Paul being on the Houston Rockets this next year. But he's like, hey, without me, they were awesome last year, um, just not quite as good as the Warriors. So with me, they'll get over the top. So we're, you know, we're at some point you got to just. Um, make a bet and just have a scenario that if you're betting on to get lucky and work out. And what we've done is we've said uh, we have a young all-star in uh, Andre Drummond, an under 25 guy who is one of the best rebounders ever and has made an all-star team. He's, he was disappointing last year, but he wasn't, he didn't get worse. And there's reasons to think he could get better that we'll go into. We've gone into in the past. and We'll go into more later. Tanking was not available to Stan Van Gundy. He couldn't do the Sixers. He took over. He's, he walked in on a team that had five years of no playoffs and a new owner who wanted to get the stink off the team. Um, it was not he, it was not an option to just, like, bide your time until you clear three maximum salary cap slots like Pat Riley did when LeBron came there. And that was suicidally risky, and it just happened to work that LeBron wanted to do that for Riley. So we, we're taking a middle way. We're, as I said, we're starting building around Drummond. We're not, but we haven't pushed in to go all in. We're not locked into. And media, by the way, no, notice that Riley did not get, did not even seem to get close to getting Paul George, Jimmy Butler, or Gordon Hayward That's or right. Chris Paul. That's right. So I mean, like he got he got LeBron once, and like since since LeBron's left, he hasn't had that that magic touch and getting other guys to come. So that's right, and 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 so. You know we're not in asset building mode, but we also haven't pushed all in. We have a shot to take here. 
all we've signed the guys to contracts so we haven't kept our salary cap space open but they're all movable contracts i mean no one's in love with any of our contracts especially now that marcus morris is gone but they're all solid players signed to middling contracts so if we need to if we get to the point where we let's say um we've made a, a portfolio of bets on andre drummond but also tobias harris uh, Reggie Jackson, Stanley Johnson, Henry Ellenson. If one of those takes a bigger leap than anyone was expecting, which happens sometimes, and w- suddenly we win 53 games, we've got a bunch of guys we could package together plus all a bunch of future draft picks to trade to a, a team if, if, if a good player wants to force his way here. So, you know, we... we and we've maintained our, our flexibility and optionality going forward. So I, I think that this was a reasonable course to take. I'm not saying like Stan Van Gundy's the greatest genius who uh, ever graced a front office, but I'm just saying this is just as likely to work out to win us a championship as the strategies that these other teams are taking of like of tanking or clearing cap space is doing. It's just it's a it's an un, currently unfashionable way. But, you know, it, um, the Pistons won a title uh, by just getting uh, getting Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace among their portfolio of bets. They both just turned out to be better than anyone thought. And then we made our big move, pushing all our chips in to get Rasheed Wallace. And we had a title, a finals appearance, and four additional Eastern Conference finals appearances. The, the other way we did it is, you know, we, we drafted Grant Hill and cultivated him, and then he left in free agency like Gordon Hayward just did or Tracy McGrady did for Toronto. So uh, I'm not saying this is definitely the best way to go, but it's like the, this is a reasonable way to go, That and, and doing it the other ways is not guaranteed either. Uh, Daryl Morey is good, and also he got lucky that uh, Sam Presti wanted to get rid of Harden and probably miscalculated. Um the, the Spurs won titles basically because they accidentally tanked and got Tim Duncan. Uh, and then they were good on top of that with, you know, drafting Ginobili and Parker late. Um, Dallas got lucky getting Dirk Nowitzki and then slowly built a title team around him by just trying to be good. They never tanked. They just, you know. so uh, I just want to defend our team building strategy, like being good without pushing all your chips in so that you have one more shot to take. I like that. I, I I I have no regrets whatsoever about the Pistons taking the tr- the path they're taking. It might not work, but then again, it might. Yeah, and I, I, speaking of which, I would enjoy being good. I mean, like <laughs> I I yeah. there's this sort of I'm not sure if every fan in the local markets have the same attitude of like championship or bust. It's almost like the national commentators are like. Yeah, like yawn. Wake me when you're a contender. It's like, yeah, but this is we're living our lives out here in Metro Detroit area, watching the Pistons play every year. And being a Sixers fan for like the last decade sucks. Maybe it's more interesting for the national commentators, but you want to actually see uh, good basketball. So if I were a Toronto fan right now, if I were a Celtics fan, of course, actually uh, right now a Celtics fan, but you know, just or like a. I don't know, a Grizzlies fan, like that would be a lot of fun. And like, I will take that for starters. Let's start there uh, and, and get to like the way we felt when Rick Carlisle got that first 51 season. Like, let's, let's start there. That's right. And you just have to make sure you don't do it wrong by pushing all your chips in uh, just to get to 
49 or 51 wins. That's doing it wrong, but that's not what we've done. Um, I think, you know, um, the New Orleans Pelicans have done that a little bit. Um, the, the the Sacramento Kings have tried to do that. The Knicks just always do that, and, and that's why they, they're just perpetually uh, kind of okay. So, yeah. Uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it's not only good for potential free agents to be decent to, or to be pretty good, but it's also good for the fans. And and you have a you know a feeling in your in your fan base that like the team is worth watching and worth supporting. Um, you know, th- there are fan bases that don't that don't show up. Uh, Atlanta is always said to not really have the option of of going the tanking route because even when they're pretty good, their fans don't show up. Um, the Milwaukee bucks, uh, famously just like can never really go full tank because, um, they're in a small market and they feel like they might just like go under and lose their city might lose the team. If they ever try to, you know, uh, play the young guys is a euphemism for tanking. Um, they just got happened to get lucky that they drafted, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the middle of the first round about where we got Luke Kennard, by the way. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh, at least uh, two cheers for Stan Van Gundy's uh, staying watchable team-building philosophy. And, uh, yeah, well... And we, didn't, and we did not make any mistakes. And, honestly, maxing out KCP would have felt like maybe a mistake. I mean, gosh, a guy yeah, with, a, with an under-13 PER when league average is 15, like maxing him out for five years, that, that, that would have been rough. And so the only the only mystery remaining is that case, no one actually gave KCP a max. So maybe we could have had him and had the same roster and still had Marcus Morris, and maybe that would have been better. But if we offered him eighty million and he let, and he didn't take it, then KCP seems to want to bet on himself and get out of here. And uh, so fine, uh, I, I like what we're doing. So yeah he he got we offered him 16 million a year on average for 5 years and he took a one year 18 million dollar deal with uh with the Lakers um you know yeah, best of luck and I think he's hoping that he can show that he's worth a max and, and go into the next year after that uh but he also just got unlucky with the the cap timing and everything else uh, anyway I wish him the best of luck and I don't know on that note perhaps we should wrap it up and uh we will We'll we'll kind of keep watching things. There's been some rumors of a trade for Reggie Jackson. I don't doesn't seem likely to me. So as we approach the season and, and know we have a final roster, it'll be fun to dig in and do some analysis about what we really think a, a, a credible win total in our position in the Eastern Conference will be. Yeah, that that Reggie Jackson rumor only makes sense if we thought Reggie Jackson's knee was shot. In in which case we're somewhat hosed this season anyway. So yeah, exactly as you said, Carl. We'll. Uh, We'll get ready to saddle up as the season approaches. All right, well, that wraps up episode 34. So if you've made it this far, thank you for listening. And tell your friends and subscribe and all that good stuff.